Hello and welcome to Volleyball State, a look at college volleyball in six rotations, proudly sponsored this week by the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union, where by just listening to this show, you are now eligible to become a member. I'm Jeff Sheldon. And I'm Lincoln Arneal. Well, it is not exactly the place that maybe we expected to be at the end of the season and not exactly the opponent we were expecting if the Huskers did make it this far. But hey, Lincoln, here we are. The final match of the regular season. Nebraska has advanced to the national championship match for Sunday and standing between the Huskers and their sixth NCAA title. It's our old friends, the Texas Longhorns, Nebraska and Texas locking it up for the national title for the third time in college volleyball history. We will break down how both teams advance to Sunday's final, as well as look at the matchups that will be important in deciding who is going to win that national championship. Thanks for engaging with us on social media. You can find the pod at Volleyball Pod on Twitter. You can also email the show, VolleyballState at gmail.com. We are, of course, part of the Podcast House Media Podcasting Network. You can find us and all the great Podcast House Media shows online at PodcastHouseMedia.com. And if that is not enough, please find us individually. I am on X slash Twitter at by Jeff Sheldon. And I'm on Twitter at Lincoln underscore VB or threads at Lincoln A underscore VB. Uh, you can also find all of my articles, videos, um, everything else I do, a lot of it hosted at huskersillustrated.com. So follow us there. Uh, also, and you've just been like writing your face off this week in Tampa, yeah. right? It's breaking it's been some like- uh, transfer portal news too, you know? There's transfer portal stuff. There's uh, and not with Nebraska, but uh, there's 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 practices to go to. There's it seems like there's a press conference every day. And like it's uh, it's more work, I feel like, than when I when I ended up going to the final four a few years ago. But you can find all Lincoln's great stuff at huskersillustrated.com. For sure. And what we got uh, coming up today, we got six rotations. We will start off with Nebraska sweeping pit in rotation one. Rotation two, we will uh, talk about Texas beating Wisconsin and what we got wrong and how the Longhorns were able to do that. Rotation three, we will talk with Husker Radio Network analyst Lauren Cook-West, get her thoughts on the match and what she expects from Texas. Uh, then rotation four, we will break down that Nebraska-Texas match in great detail. Then we'll, we'll take a step back, rotation five, and we will put the season into context. What does this mean? What is this accomplishment to reach the national title game? What's at stake on Sunday's final? And then rotation six, What's next? What uh, what what the weekend holds and what uh, where we're going as well, too. So uh, we will start with uh, Jeff texting me late on Thursday night. Do we need to do an emergency pod after Nebraska <laughs> dominant dominant uh, performance against Pitt? And like the people want it. They want to hear us talk about how, this. We'll give our thoughts. How mad would you have been if I texted you at like midnight and and said, "Hey, once Wisconsin or once yeah, Wisconsin Texas is over, we just record the pod late Thursday night so that it could go up sometime on Friday and we just like stayed up until 2 a.m." I thought about it. I'm like, "Eh, that's a little that's a little crazy. Maybe we don't do that." And so I realized we're getting this out a little bit later, but um it just made all the sense in the world. I thought like we're we're not going to do a preview podcast of a national championship match after Nebraska authoritatively gets there yeah. with a 25-20, 25-23, 25-17 sweep over Pittsburgh on Thursday night. Lincoln, I guess just from being there in the arena in Tampa, what was the the vibe of the match and, and what were your overall thoughts just from seeing it live? I mean, it, it felt like a no Husker party too. I got to downtown Tampa about uh, two o'clock, between two or three o'clock on uh, Thursday afternoon. And there were 
Nebraska people out walking. I stopped by the Alumni Association uh, preview. I kind of think kind of their tailgate party too. Yeah, like the little party Overflow, at overflowing Harry's. crowd, and then w- went to the Nebraska uh, red carpet experience. Just mass humanity too. So it was ready to party. And then once the match started, great atmosphere. And to me, I would just Nebraska. Nebraska really was locked in. They were Olivia Babcock as good as advertised for Pitt. She was really mm-hmm. impressive too, but Nebraska just was calm and steady. Even when they messed up, they refreshed, recycled, and came back out the next point. So I was just really impressed with Nebraska's focus, and they looked like they belonged. They didn't look nervous. Um, they were having fun before the match and during it. Yeah. So it, just a great performance by Nebraska too. I mean, you watched on what was were- overall takeaway watching the telecast. Sometimes Nebraska outperforms what their numbers to me would indicate that they're playing at. And I don't know if this is a great analogy or not, but there there are seasons like with the Yankees or with Alabama football where they kind of muddle through um, the regular season and, and don't overwhelm you. And then all of a sudden when they get to the playoff or the title game or the World Series, like they just look like they belong maybe more than a team that outperform them in a regular season. And I realize I'm talking about a team in Nebraska that's like 33 and one. But Nebraska, uh, there was there, we reached the media timeout in game one and Nebraska was up what, like 15, 15, 11 or something like that, 15, 12 in game one. And I'm like, does Nebraska even have two kills like I couldn't remember more than one Merritt Beeson kill and yet Nebraska's already won the race to 15 and that's you know thanks in part to to its defense so we're going to talk a lot about Nebraska's defense against Pitt once again Nebraska reaches 15 blocks I think it's the first time that they've had at least 15 blocks in back-to-back games since it's been a few years I, I saw it in the match notes I don't remember what exactly the year is but Nebraska won this with defense and then also uh, they got steady performances especially from Harper Murray the freshman outside hitter at 13 kills and hit 273 that's a hundred points higher than she's been hitting over the last month of play so she really stepped up and Nebraska's other pin hitters you know weren't spectacular but they were fine uh, Merritt Beeson had eight kills struggled a little bit with seven errors uh, and hit 038 but Merritt really picked him up in some other parts of her game she had five yeah. Blocks. She had a season high four aces. Nebraska's serving really helped control this match. And then Allie Batenhorst had eight kills as well. Hit 190. You know, you, you want to see her up uh, maybe 20 or 30 points higher. But she had a lot of out of system stuff to deal with because there were a lot of long rallies in this match. That was the other thing that jumped out to me too, Lincoln, is this was clearly a match of two of the best defensive teams in the country in Nebraska and Pitt because nobody was letting balls drop easy. There were a lot of long rallies, some amazing saves on both sides and so yeah that was just going to drag your attack percentages kind of down into the mud yeah for sure and Pitt really kind of uh sets out the tempo with their defense too but nebraska came out i think they had a block on the one of the first couple rallies too and to me that set the tone of the entire match too becca alec just came out and uh really looked like she was on a mission too. We got to sit, this is what I like about the final four. We sit courtside so we can see like their mm-hmm. facial reactions. Whereas the Vanny center, we're tucked away up in the kind of, you're on the moon. Corner. You're sitting on the moon. Yeah. We have worse seats almost than everyone on in, in Devaney, but you could just tell the intensity on her face too. And, and that really set the tone. Um, and then the, I think defensively too, Lexi Rodriguez, she had a little bit of slow start. Cause I mean, it was just a lot, but she finished with, 17 digs and really kind of put her imprint on the match, especially the third mm-hmm. step we'll talk about too. So, um, but the middles did really great, just no errors. And once they got, it took a while to get them involved too, because 
the mm-hmm. passing was a little bit erratic. But let, let's let's go game by yeah. game, and kind of describe what happened a little bit. We're kind of alluded to it, uh, but again, that, that mm-hmm. first first again, you mentioned it felt like forever for Nebraska to get any kills. They only had nine kills in that first set, but they did have eight blocks, which is just a great performance. Mm-hmm. I, there was a time after game one where I was sitting here sort of like workshopping a post-match tweet in my head, which is how do you win a match in the final four with only like 28, 30 kills? Uh, and Nebraska ended up with a few more than that. But yeah, nine kills, eight blocks in game one. Only five of Nebraska's first 15 points of the match came on kills. Their other 10 came from pit service errors, um, Nebraska blocks, pit attacking errors. And and Pitt really, even though this was their third year in the Final Four, it looked like Pitt was maybe the less um, composed, steady team. And when you have high risk, high reward serves like that, I mean, Pitt had several service errors in game one, and I think that kind of put them on their heels a little bit. Um, Nebraska led 15-14 in the first set and then stretched that to 19-15 with a 4-1 to run there. Um, Harper Murray had a kill. Becca Alec made it, had a block that got it to 22-17. And then Nebraska got their eighth block of game one to um, to end it uh, 25-20. Um, Huskers hit just 152 in the opener, but uh, that's way better than what Pitt accomplished. Pitt flatlined at zero, 13 kills, 13 errors in the opener. Uh, Mara Beast and Harper Murray, both four kills in game one. So this was just sort of like a, a disjointed defensive set. And I think Nebraska is way more comfortable playing that type of set than maybe any other team in the Final Four, or maybe any other team in the country. Yeah. And you talk about not looking comfortable. I mean, Pitt, their leading two leading attackers are freshmen, Olivia Babcock, we mentioned, Tori Stafford. Uh, they had mm-hmm. nine kills, but nine errors. And then uh, Babcock, also, you talk about the high risk, high reward. She had a jump serve that really, I mean, she had an ace over the course of the night, but she hit it into the middle of the net several times, including her first two times to the line in that first set. Just uh, didn't look very comfortable back there. Yeah. Never really settled this in. This is why. Yeah, I was going to say this is Nebraska has not had like a big bombing jump server for for quite a while. I'm trying to remember the last one I can remember. I think um, Kelsey Robinson came to Nebraska with one of those big jump serves and they're like, nope, we're not doing that. Please, please put that away. And if you want to do that when you turn professional, if your coach lets you, um, we'll be fine with it. And you saw why, like for every ace you get, you're going to put the ball in the net twice, or you're going to serve it way out of bounds. We saw this with Georgia Tech in the Sweet 16. You just don't put pressure on teams when you are making it really easy to give them a point. Either you're hitting it in the net and they're not coming to a decision or you're hitting it so far out of bounds, like it's a pretty easy call. So Pitt wasted some points in game one and and Nebraska really didn't need to. Yeah, they they Pitt had 13 hitting errors, three service errors, and Nebraska had nine kills. There's your... There's your 25 points Mm -hmm. right there. And 16 points on Pitt errors. I mean, eight of those were blocks, Mm -hmm. but Nebraska didn't have to work very hard on offense to get points. Yeah, uh, the offense did finally come around in games two and three. Lincoln, do you want to do you want to start us off in game two? Yes. I mean, so Bain, Allie Bainhorse really is the person who shined a lot in this, too. I mean, Nebraska started off a little fast. They got their run a little bit earlier there. So they jump out to an 11 six lead. Uh, they start to get mm-hmm. the middle involved a little bit. Alec had a couple kills. Um and then Jackson got a couple back-to-back kills on the slide too, but the middles really didn't take take off until uh, the third the third set really. Uh, but Nebraska is up twenty-one sixteen. Think they're going to cruise. Kind of the same same happened as this first set. But Pitt scores three straight. Um, Olivia Babcock 
heating up. She had another, she had five more kills in this set as well, too. But, but, uh, there, Nebraska's up 24 to 20. Pitt gets three straight points. You start, oh no, is this going to be a big Nebraska collapse? Nebraska calls timeout. Um, they, uh, they, they regroup, have a little huddle. Uh, Valeria Vasquez Gomez goes back and just, Serves it long. I mean, another though, high risk, high reward. I mean, she got three straight serves in, but it was close. Serve. That was close too. Was close? Like okay. I know, credit to Nebraska for for gambling that. From 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 what I remember, I remember going back and watching the replay. Yeah. This yeah. was not like a mile out of bounds. She no. she hit it, and maybe the the angle. When you sit courtside, it's hard to see the end lines. And this was like eh, you know just a little bit long. But uh, credit to Nebraska for for letting it go. And then the outsides really. This is what I took away from game two, Lincoln two. Um, Ali Batenhorst five kills on six swings in mm-hmm. the second set she really came alive harper murray also had five kills so nebraska's two outside hitters after a relatively quiet game one combined for 10 kills in game two and if your outsides are giving you 10 kills a set like you're gonna beat anyone well and they needed it too i mean harper took 16 swings so she was really kind of bailing nebraska out too but mary beeson just getting to a funk i mean she had 10 swings and got had five airs she got a couple block a little bit tight sets a couple times too but she just she struggled immensely in this mm-hmm. set too. but we talked to her after the game and she was she knew that her team is going to pick her up and uh she was able to shake shake it off and kind of uh figure out what mm-hmm. uh what 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 she was needed to do a little bit too so um but nebraska's up 2-0 going into intermission feeling good uh but you worry about because as was happens all year will there be that third set swoon that lull uh nebraska just mentally isn't locked in or is pitt uh going to make adjustments that takes nebraska a little bit time to um Time to uh, time to get figured out on their their side too, and yeah, Nebraska Nebraska put put um, put fears of that to bed relatively early, and they did it behind the serving of Merritt Beeson. So um, Nebraska, this was their best offensive set game three. They hit 407, 15 kills, four errors on twenty seven swings. That's going to win you a lot of matches if you're able to do that. And you know you'd mentioned the middle sort of started to get going in game two. They really picked it up early in game sure. three, and I feel like when Nebraska's middles have a good match it's because they're able to get going early on in sets Um, Nebraska went to the middles for uh, six kills on seven swings in game three Harper Murray also had four more kills Nebraska um, it was close in the early going Nebraska led just 10 to 9 when when Allie Batenhorst uh, misses on an out-of-system attack and and I thought Batenhorst out-of-system swings were actually on the whole really really good um, and she rebounded nicely from this one and, and they put Allie in some tough positions sometimes. And I think she's getting better at either um, tooling out a system, trying to try some sharp angles. And then she, she really likes to swipe tip. She likes mm-hmm. to swipe off the block and she got one of those to land too. Yeah. Um, and so it, it seems like you want to jump in on this sequence yeah. here where it's 10, nine yeah, Nebraska game is- three. Wait, I talked to Allie after the game, and this was uh, she had a very she, she knew this question was coming too. But when she whiffed on that one, it was like she just mishit it. She com- almost completely whiffed. The ball went under the net too, and uh, really came back. She like she had a cross, a very sharp cross court kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you like you said, swipe off the block, and then her and Andy Jackson teamed up. And to me, that was the turning point in the match. That was when Nebraska's like, okay, we'll go for blood. Pitt calls timeout, out of timeout. Rodriguez gets an ace, and then Merritt Beeson, they side out. Merritt Beeson comes, has three straight aces. The first one was on a um, rotation error, which signifies yeah. to me that mentally you're not locked in. That, that's just that's a mental mistake. Of I, I read, too, that Jalen Reyes saw that. 
um, and and kind of clued the officials into it. It's like when a, an assistant football coach is like, hey, they're holding or, hey, this guy's lined up wrong and like just kind of clues the officials into it. I, I think Jalen might have said something to the down official yeah. uh, on the play before that. Yeah, but I don't know if they were even going to re- be able to return the serve that that sh- she sent over, even if they weren't out of rotation. She kind of mm-hmm. was yo-yoing them. She went short, long, short and had three mm-hmm. straight aces. And to me, that just broke Pitt's spirit too. You could tell that. I mean, that put Nebraska up nineteen to ten, uh, and they were mm-hmm. they were on cruise control at that point. Too. Yeah, the matches the matches over at that point. Um, Harper Murray had two more kills late in game three, and then Murray and Becca Alec teamed up for a block to give Nebraska ten match points of twenty four fourteen. Um, Pitt is able to run off, I think, three in a row, uh, and then again, sort of an anticlimactic finish. Pitt gets called for a net violation. On Nebraska's fourth match point, which on the replay, I think the announcers were very surprised. It was upheld. Um, Pitt's uh, player who got called in the net has a really long braid, and her as she turned away from the net, that her braid hit the net. And mm. usually they say if, if your hair hits the net, it's not a net violation. I've seen some other people say, oh, well, on the replay, you can see her elbow brush the net. Uh, it was pretty small potatoes, and I'm kind of surprised with Nebraska up as big as they were that the officials just didn't say play on. Let's let's make you earn it um, on the court. But regardless, Nebraska ends up winning the match in three and advances to Sunday's national title match against uh, against Texas, who we'll talk about here in just a bit. But um, you know, Dan Fisher, who we kind of praised pretty heavily last week, Lincoln. Mm-hmm. As as one of the best coaches in the country said that that Pitt really kind of made a tactical error with their serving in game three. Yeah, he said they they went they gave it too much to Lexi Rodriguez. They served too much at her, and she had eight of eight of the fifteen serves that Nebraska received were passed by uh, Lexi and perfect like that. And in turn, that also helped Nebraska get the middles involved, get uh, and led to that four hundred hitting percentage too. So I think that that was their tactical. I mean. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not telling a highly paid professional volleyball coach like anything they don't already know. But I, I don't understand why your serving strategy would ever be to do anything other than serve away from Lexi Rodriguez. And I know that you know it's easier said than done. They make her primary pass, or they kind of try to hide some other folks. But and and you know Jared Elliott's going to know this too. For someday, you serve at Nebraska's outsides. You serve yeah. at Harper Murray or Allie oh. Batenhorst, or heck, even Laney Choboy, anyone yeah. but Lexi Rodriguez, and that gets Nebraska out of system. Yeah, and Laney had two serve receives, and Harper had five in that third set, too, and they all were, I mean, no, they didn't give up any aces, and they, again, led to a four hundred higher than 400 hitting percentage, too, so Nebraska was locked in, but if you allow them to get comfortable, you serve at Lexi, yeah, it just, mm-hmm. it didn't make much sense, but uh, we talked a lot about Pittsburgh's outside hitters, Olivia Babcock finished with 12 kills. However, she had eight errors, um, missed four serves. Uh, Tori Stafford hit 10 kills, hit 094. So, I mean, they they had good nights, but it, as they wish they probably yeah, had they had fine nights. They didn't have Maddie Skinner type nights. No, for sure. And then their middles were non-existent as well, too. I mean, this is another match where Nebraska really didn't have to worry about the others. Uh, middle mm-hmm. attack, they had six kills, five errors on 18 swings, too. So I was always kind of... And Pitt has, Pitt has a great middle. Nwokolo, Monks is good, yeah. Um, Monks is very, Emma Monks is great. Right. Monks is good. Nwokolo is hitting like 400, over 400 on the year. And I, I remember one kill that a pit middle had all night. They, they had a really nice sort of off the net set and woke 
flow in the middle and and that was it and you know that's this is where i think texas is going to challenge nebraska in ways that not a lot of other teams have been able to do lately where they have a stud middle in asia o'neill who's they're going to find ways to get her swings and that's going to be another problem nebraska is going to have to deal with um let's talk a little bit more about nebraska pitt Nebraska, 15 blocks against Pittsburgh, 17 blocks against Arkansas in the regional final. You do the easy math. It's 32 blocks over the last uh, seven sets. And so where we, we, we wind on this podcast, maybe I wind on this podcast um, for weeks about this just not being a great Nebraska blocking team. And then they put together 32 blocks in their last two matches. Where did this come from? Just talking to people this week, Lincoln, what do people say about it? I think it comes from I mean, the scouting report. Maybe they're just figuring out they get enough tape and these teams are a little bit more predictable. But you mentioned, too, I mean, Pitt and both Arkansas did not have a very strong middle attack. So the Nebraska middles can maybe uh, be a little bit more mobile. Cheat. But, yeah, cheat a little. But even like a couple of times, uh, Becca Alec would, would have solo blocks when uh, Babcock was hitting from the back row right down the pipe. And uh, it just mm-hmm. they're, they're seeing the ball or Becca Alec is just playing possessed and determined and really on fire too. I mean, maybe reading the ball really well too. So I, I don't, I don't know if there's one singular answer and we ask him about it too. It's like, Oh, we got a good scouting report. I'm like, okay, yes, but mm-hmm. you've scouting reports all year. Jalen's the person that's building these. Is he just locked in or finding some tendencies or is Nebraska just mm-hmm. elevated its level and playing well on the big stage? Yeah. And, and Nebraska is going to have, um, you know, people have asked me over the last couple of days what I think of the Nebraska-Texas match. And I said, well, obviously, Texas is really good, right? They've, they've got a couple of all first-team All-American players. They, they are always very talented. But if you were going to trust any coach to have th- th- two days to put together a plan to slow down Texas, I would pick John Cook uh, and his staff. So I think that extra day is going to be really important. Texas is kind of like Penn State, the old Penn State teams that John Cook would talk about where – they're not that complicated. Putting together a scouting report actually isn't that hard. They're just so good. Like they're going to score regardless of you knowing where exactly the ball's going. Um, you can run the ball up the middle if you've got a great offensive line and great running backs. And that's what Texas uh, is able to do. Yeah. The other big subplot of this whole match was John Cook's use of the challenge cards, too. He pulled one right early when it was six to six, lost it. So that means he only has one challenge. I mean, he until he loses, he's going to lose one yeah. more the rest of the match, too. And that was Jalen's fault, too. Jalen, you yeah. blew that call, man. I'm sorry. That was clearly not an antenna. And it didn't take long. He pulled one again. It was when it was 8-8 in the first set, too, and won that one. And there were a couple, two uh, big reversals that he won in the beginning of the second set, too. So uh, after losing that first one, he was on fire. I, I Again, I, I, mean, I hear from people during the games who are watch television who have sometimes better angles than we do in camera. We don't get many replays in, in arena. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, it bold move by cook paid off. I don't, Dan Fisher, I don't think he may have challenged once or twice and lost. He did, he did late. Match. He did late in the match when he kind of had to. Yeah. Um, and I think they lost both of them and they certainly lost the one on match point, um, where, uh, the officials upheld your initial net call. But I think one of those challenges too, that he had in game three was he was out of timeouts and it was just the, this is my unofficial third timeout challenge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Nebraska was very close to being out of challenges, 16 points into the match. Um, so it was a big, you know, I never like when coaches use challenges in the first, I don't know, 10 rallies of a match. And I know the points all, like count the same. But if I was a coach, I feel like my philosophy would be never, ne- unless it's incredibly obvious, never use a challenge before like 
somebody gets to 15 because you want to save. It's like saving your timeouts for, you know, late in a, the fourth quarter of a football game. If you have to eat a five yard penalty in the third quarter, fine, do it. Those timeouts are just more valuable. But um, it, it's it was a big win for Nebraska, obviously a personal milestone for John Cook. He became just the third active coach in in women's college volleyball with 850 career wins. Uh, the other two coaches who are at that milestone right now are Chris Poole at Florida State and Mary Wise at Florida who I think both have been coaching a little bit longer than him. And so that is a, that's a huge personal milestone for John Cook, you know, and and I think we've got it down low, lower in our notes too. Um, Cook is the second all-time winningest coach in the NCAA tournament. I believe only Russ Rose or potentially John Dunning, it's got to be one of those two, have more NCAA tournament victories than John Cook. No, I mean, we talked a little bit about Becca Alex stepping up huge. I think Harper Murray also played very well too. Um, I mean, she, we kind of worry about her. She had kind of a, again, much like Nebraska likes to do a third quarter, third set swoon in the season. Um, but, but she really kind of emerged and you could tell from the get go, she had a little more oomph behind her attacks and was locked in, really carried the offense too. And I thought for a freshman playing on the stage too, was just, uh, outstanding. Uh, I mean, one of her better matches that we've seen in a little bit, in a little while is from her as well, too. I mean, what did you, could you tell what Harper was doing or from what, what helped her elevate her play? Mm, I think, you know, with Harper, it's, um, is, is she going to be, is she going to be physically dominant? Can they get her the ball fast? Because, you know, she, she needs a faster set and then that just leaves her one-on-one. And I think as the match went on, Bergen Riley got her um, into some better situations. And part of that is from Nebraska's passing, picking it up as the, as the match went on. Um, Harper needs, you know, she needs to tool and that's a, you have to be confident in, in your seeing the block to be able to do that. Um, and she did that better as the match went on. She just brings a little bit extra. Harper's someone that when she wants to hit the ball hard, you can really just see her body contort when mm-hmm. she's in the air. It's, it's just getting as much torque as she can by leaning back. And, you know, Texas is going to put up a big block. So Nebraska, uh, Harper Murray and Allie Batenhorst, I think are going to have to aim high on Sunday and aim at edges a block because Texas is another team that can send the ball right back at your feet, just like they did against Wisconsin on uh, on Thursday night, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. But first, uh, the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union has been a great supporter of our show and a great supporter of the Lincoln community. Um, over the last couple of weeks, they've supported the show. They're a big supporter of Nebraska volleyball, and they're proud to sponsor Volleyball State. We're proud to have them. I, myself, my family is a member of the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union. We've used them for auto loans. We've looked into home refinancing, and they're our everyday bank, too. So checking, savings, uh, always service with a smile. We know the people at the credit union locations, and you can, too. They've got two great locations, one in downtown Lincoln, right next to the UNL campus, uh, 17th and P, or they will be in central Lincoln, just north of O Street on 52nd Street by the Barnes and Noble and the High V. that's right there. You can also always find complete banking details and become a member online at nufcu.org. Who can become a member of the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union? The short answer is anyone, whether you're an alum of one of the University of Nebraska campuses, whether you have a family member who's an alum, whether you're a staff member, or if you're just a big Husker fan, you can become a credit union member. Membership in the University of Nebraska 
Federal Credit Union has benefits like this. Personal service, they're going to answer the phone when you call a real person. It's not going to be automated. They're going to be there to help you, plus all the convenient online options that you'd expect from a big bank or credit union, their updated website, and a mobile app so you can bank from anywhere. You also get low interest rates, lower than commercial banks on uh, loans like home equity, refinancing, auto loans, never any added fees. Their staff's going to make it real, real easy for you. So check them out online at NU fcu.org and we're very grateful for the university of nebraska federal credit union for supporting volleyball state all the way through nebraska's run to the national championship match all right let's move on to rotation two let's give you a quick recap of the other semifinal on thursday night texas versus wisconsin a lot of people thought wisconsin was a team of destiny as well too but texas really came out and took it to the including back. both of us yeah really. sorry apologies <laughs> why we're not the prediction is a lot of the time Texas really came out and established uh, itself, won that first game a little bit closer. Wisconsin bounced back, but uh, Texas then just kind of made some adjustments and figured out how to attack Wisconsin and dominated game three, game three or four with not much, was not much drama at all. So that's because Texas went on big serving runs, both yeah. early in both game three and four to to stretch out a lead and, and really kind of demoralize Wisconsin uh, a little bit more context. You know, Texas always has a great offense. It seems like they hit 274 on Thursday against one of the best defensive teams in the country. Wisconsin had been holding teams to 150 attacking, which I think they were the third High, or third best uh, opponent defensive team in the country, Wisconsin was. Texas almost doubles them up there. Yeah. And and really the player who is leading this charge for Texas over their run through the NCAA tournament is their best outside hitter. Madison Skinner, the Kentucky transfer, had 18 kills on Thursday to lead four Texas players in double figures. Asia O'Neill, who we haven't really talked about much, but we'll talk about more on this show. Um, Texas's outstanding middle blocker had 11 kills, no errors on 16 swings. So she hit 688 on Thursday. And then Jenna Wenis and Molly Phillips, uh, you know, I think Jenna Wenis can be a bit of an up or down player, the Minnesota transfer. They both had 10 kills. So Texas got a really balanced offensive effort that was led by Maddie Skinner. And they just put the hammer down in game three and four and ended Wisconsin season a match shorter than anyone thought it was going to be. For sure. I was writing my game story from Nebraska. This is the second semifinal. So I was writing my game story, trying to wrap that up. And I was the third set started. I'm like, I'm getting down, focusing my edits. And I look, look up in the score and went from like four to three to 15 to three. I'm like, wait a second, what just happened? And I mean, Maddie Skinner really took care of business. She had three aces as part of an 11-0 run that really blew open that third set. And then Texas also had an early 6-0 run in the fourth set. They really just kind of wore down. They served at Sarah Franklin, wore her down, and just really took Texas out of, I mean, their good serving not only resulted in aces, but took took Wisconsin out of what they wanted to do offensively. And they, they never looked comfortable on the court, too. I mean, Julio Orzel didn't have that many digs. And uh, mm-hmm. this kind of made Wisconsin setters run all over the place. Yeah, not a great match for um, for Wisconsin's backcourt, I would say, between Julio Orzel and Golche Guchkin. Neither one of them uh, had, had a match to write home about. And then tech, or Wisconsin's two setters. You know, t- Wisconsin was trying to be the first team in 20 years to win a national title running a 6-2. And, cool. you know, I think with Charlie Fuhrbringer coming in next year, that that experiment's going away. Um, Both another one. Graduating, uh, too, as well. Too, yeah, so Ashburn and Hamill. 
um, end their college careers probably in matches where they wish they they'd been able to play a little bit better. But it started with Texas's service pressure. Matty Skinner served both that 11-0 run in game three and the 6-0 run in game four. Texas had 11 aces in the match, and that fed Texas's transition. You know, if Wisconsin's not getting quality swings, normally they can terminate out of system. They're really good at it. And Texas was able to bottle them up and not give them those out-of-system kills. With Texas hit 400 over games three and four. Wisconsin just uh, 220. And and Maddie Skinner and Asia O'Neill were elite. They combined for 29 kills on 60 swings, which is one kill shy of having a, a 50% kill percentage. So ignore the errors. They're getting kills on 50% of their swings. And it's very, very tough to beat a team if they're getting that kind of production from their two best players. Yeah, and the other key to this, too, is Texas' defense was really good, too. I mean, Emma Halter uh, had 19 digs and really kind of set Nebraska, uh, set Texas up for success in their offense, too. They mentioned that transition game, too, but she really kind of flew around, too. I mean, uh, Madison Skinner also had nine digs as well, too. They out- this is the— this is the new Texas, right? Yeah. Like you saw it with Zoe Fleck transferring in last year. They they realize that they can't just be a shoot 'em up offensive team. They have to have a good backcourt. And with Fleck last year, Emma Halter's a sophomore and she's playing really, really well. They just don't let balls drop now. And and you know, a lot of times you could count on that against Texas is they're not going to be a great defensive team. And maybe you can get some cheap ones on them. I don't think you're going to be able to do that on Sunday against this Texas team. For sure. And I think you also saw this. I mean, maybe it's just the realization that coaches have that, oh, yeah, we need to play good defense, too. I think John Cook had that after like the 2018, 2019 year, too, once he started adding those additional uh, back row players, whether it was uh, Keanu Leacana when she came to Nebraska initially or uh, just kind of the other back row players to, and Kenzie Knuckles to complement what the libero was able to do. I mean, they talk about that Legion of Boom. That's what uh, – Texas had. So um, uh, they were really, their defense really stepped up too. With that, let's move on to if you need competition quality volleyball equipment, contact the Good Sports at Bison Incorporated. This Nebraska based manufacturer has the widest selection of indoor and outdoor systems available with your choice of carbon, aluminum, steel, hybrid, and portable volleyball systems. Volleyball Day in Nebraska happened using the setup from Bison. Those four teams played inside of Memorial Stadium on Bison's freestanding Portable Arena Junior. Call 1-800-247-7668 for help finding the perfect fit for your facility. Request a quote online or find a Bison dealer near you at bisonincorporated.com. That's www.bisoninc.com. Thank you very much to Bison Incorporated for for supporting the show and being with us through this NCAA tournament run as well. Uh, Lincoln, I'm really happy that we could get Lauren back on the show. Um, Our tech worked fine this time, which was great. And, you know, Lauren's been living and dying with this team all season long. Uh, Lauren Cook-West, the radio color analyst for the for the Husker Sports Network. And she has such great insight on both Nebraska and Texas, plus what it's like to play on a team that makes deep runs in the NCAA tournament. And we hope that you enjoy our sit down with Lauren Cook West from the Husker Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Lauren Cook West, the volleyball radio analyst for the Husker Sports Network, former Husker great herself. Lauren, you've been cooped up down here with John Baylor all week in Tampa. How's it going? How you feeling? I so before Thursday's match, I was nervous. I didn't eat all day. I barely slept the night before. 
I, I was wondering what was going on with me because I never used to get nervous in my playing days. But what I've come to realize is I have zero control from a radio mm-hmm. broadcast standpoint. <laughs> so it's very difficult for me to watch the matches. And the other thing JB and I were joking about, I get really animated during Nebraska volleyball matches. And I think part of it is just former player. And I, I have a family member who's still involved. And then from the radio standpoint, and I get really animated. And if you're in media row, you're supposed to remain you know, calm, cool, and collected and not show any favoritism or, you know, be up celebrating. So I have been scolded a few times because I'm a little too animated on the sidelines. But in my defense, we are a radio broadcast for Nebraska volleyball. And Mm -hmm. most people know my relationship with the head coach. So I I feel like I, you know, I should get a little bit of wiggle room to be able to celebrate. So now that they've reached the national championship match, you know, I think I've, I've heard uh, coach cook talk before about really the real nerves are trying to get to the final four, like playing in that regional final. And then once you're there, it's just kind of like everyone relaxes a little bit and everything else is gravy. Do you feel nervous going into a final on Sunday like you did leading into the national semifinal on Thursday, or do you think you're you're going to be kind of you're going to be more relaxed going into that match? I'll be more relaxed. Regional final is definitely the worst. It and I think it it was even more difficult this season because Nebraska hosted and you're playing mm-hmm. Arkansas, who wasn't supposed to beat Kentucky, and mm-hmm. so there was a lot of pressure there. But just look at the girls out on the court. For example, I mean, how their body language and their demeanor playing against Arkansas versus how they played against Pitt. They looked so loose against Pitt. Mm-hmm. They were I mean, this is normally a really happy, bubbly team and, and it's they're fun to watch. But just the difference between last weekend and this week and and their how they were playing, I you could tell that it's almost like they just took they were able to breathe again after that regional final and they're in the final four. They're in that regional semi or national semifinal. semifinal. There you, go. <laughs> uh, my, you know, they're dragging this out too long, pushing this to Sunday. I get, we want to, we want to do this for TV, but this has been a long week, but anyways, okay. uh, the, it, it was just a different team. They were very relaxed. And I think we'll see that, uh, that same team on Sunday, just they're able to breathe. They're able to play volleyball. They're they're They've already made it. I mean, there's not, a, there is pressure, but there's also not pressure at the same time. You talk about the, that, how nervous you were. I mean, then the match ends in three sets in Nebraska. I mean, they had the second set was a little bit closer, but how surprised were you by a sweep too? And what was the difference between beating Pitt in three sets versus some of the matches we've seen this year where nobody takes Nebraska <laughs> an extra set, a bonus set, if you will. I told you before the match, before the pit match, I said, this is going four or five, probably mm-hmm. five because they were so evenly matched. But mm-hmm. here's, here's what happened. And I think this happened in the Wisconsin, Texas match as well. We, for Pitt and for Wisconsin, this is very unfortunate. We did not see the teams that we were used to seeing all season, the performances from Pitt, the performances from Wisconsin. I didn't watch the Wisconsin, Texas match, but I heard Wisconsin just imploded. Passing broke down. They couldn't do anything offensively, and it just wasn't the Wisconsin team that we were used to seeing all season. And then I think the their setting wasn't with- very good either. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But yeah, this was you're, you got to be disappointed if you're a Wisconsin fan that that's the effort that you got in the national semifinal. Yeah, but I think we saw the same from Pitt. And I, I remember there were points in the Nebraska Pitt match where I was looking on what Pitt was doing on their side of the net after a point in the huddle. Rachel Fairbanks their setter she was screaming at her teammates and then not even giving high fives there were some other players out there not just not interacting and 
between huddles and you look at how close the Nebraska huddle is, even the Texas huddle. I just, I just don't think we saw the potential that Pitt had in, in Wisconsin in these national semi matchups. And it's, again, it's unfortunate, but it, I'm really surprised that I thought it would be a high level match. It would probably go five because they were so evenly matched. And I, I just think that when you have a team, you know, how Nebraska and Texas played and we need to give them credit Nebraska, they both just suffocated their opponents mm-hmm. with, especially with serving it and passing wasn't great for the Huskers on Thursday, but the serving was tough. And I also talked about this on the radio broadcast. I don't know if you guys have touched on this in any of your podcast episodes, but we're playing under an ice rink. Mm-hmm. So you have the ice rink and then you have, I'm, I'm sure there's some padding and then you have the Terrafex four. So what that's doing is it's causing especially with serving and passing the serves. If you have a jump float serve, that ball is moving more because for, I don't know the science behind it, but for some reason with cold air, the ball moves more and then it drops in front Mm -hmm. of the passers. So what I was saying on the broadcast is we almost need to see all these teams there where their passers normally line up, take a step or two forward. So those balls aren't, aren't dying in front Mm -hmm. of you. And, Mm -hmm. and, but it affects passing, serving it, the contact. I mean, you had, uh, who was coming? I think it was Allie Batenhorst or Becca Alec, one of the players who only plays through rotations. When they would come off and stand, you know, on the sidelines, they were constantly jumping up and down, trying to stay mm-hmm. warm. And just from sitting, from me sitting on the sidelines doing a radio broadcast, now I'm not moving around, but my toes were frozen and mm-hmm. I had on boots. I mean, everything was covered. So it's wild that we're having to deal with this for, and I think that did affect some of the play on Thursday night, and I'm sure it will affect the play on Sunday. This gets really volleyball dorky too, but um, I was kind of surprised that the NCAA has gone to a TerraFlex floor, that that sort of softer padded floor that Nebraska, and it's kind of become the industry standard in floors. They must have started doing that in the last couple of years because what I always remember from the final four is they went with that sport court stuff, which like, it's basically like tile. It's like plastic interlocking tiles. It's much harder. It's a much harder surface. But if you put that over an ice rink, that can be, lead to more condensation and it can be very slippery. So you would see players just like their feet going out from under them or if they were, it, it leads to a lot of potential injury problems. And I'm glad that we've gone to TerraFlex, which I think has more surface tension. Like you don't slip and slide on it like you could a sport court. But yeah, I, I remember hearing that somebody told me on Thursday that they didn't take up the ice rink and Amelie Arena where the lightning play, they just put the court over it. So um, yeah, I think it's going to be who can, who can kind of stay warm on, uh, on Sunday. Uh, another thing I want to ask about Lauren, it's, it seems like very, rarely late in a season like this is something going to pop up and surprise you um it's you know are you playing up to your level or are you playing away from your tendencies in the last couple matches nebraska's had 32 blocks in the regional final and then the national semifinal arkansas and Pitt, and and this was a team you know all throughout the season on this show, we talked about how this is not really a vintage Nebraska blocking team. They were not one of the top 10 blocking teams in the country, while the other top three blocking teams in the country are right here in the final four. And yet it's Nebraska that's found the touch at the net. 32 blocks in the last two matches. What is going on with Nebraska's block and where did it come from? I think there's a couple factors that are playing into this. The first one is you have to credit the coaching staff. They're putting together a scouting report and a plan and they're, not that Nebraska makes commit block moves in every rotation. And what I mean by that is maybe our middles stay with their middles or our middles are shading or shifting to one side versus the other based on 
what the opposing team does or likes to do in that rotation and what, you know, what the setter, what her tendencies are in that rotation. Does she rely on one hitter over another? And usually there are tendencies in each rotation for an opposing team. So I, I think you have to credit the coaching staff and they're putting together these scouting reports. They're putting together the scheming and it's, it's nothing super advanced. It's, it's mm-hmm. pretty basic compared to, I mean, look at what Pitt was doing at times on Thursday. They, their middles were committing with our middles or were jumping with Bergen Riley. And I'm sitting there thinking, why are they doing this? Bergen mm-hmm. is not normally an active setter. So why would you jump with her when she's in the front row? Not yet. And then our, our, <laughs> right. Our middles, <laughs> there's still hope for Sunday. Mm-hmm. Our middles aren't getting a lot of, I mean, through the first two sets, I think Becca and Andy had like three swings each because our passing wasn't great. So, so I'm like, why is Pitt committing on our middles? And then, but that was leave, leaving our pins one-on-one. So you have teams like Pitt who really commit to it no matter what. And then you have teams like Nebraska who, you know, are, are trying to follow the game plan or trying to follow the scouting report and then making adjustments as the match goes on. And if you watch Jalen Rays, he, he is in control of, of block and defense. And mm-hmm. he's constantly not maybe after every play, but every other play, he's constantly talking with those blockers in the front. So if anything changes, if any adjustments need to be made, he's right there. So a lot of it is, is the coaches, they're putting together these reports, they're getting these players prepared for the attacking tendencies and and what we're going to do with the block and how we're going to scheme. But I think another part of it is we're, as the season goes on, you just become more comfortable blocking with who you're blocking next to who you're Mm -hmm. going up with and you're seeing our middles they're finally closing to those pin blockers our pin blockers they're getting set up in the right position in front of that opposing attacker they're going up at the same time you're seeing consistency they're pressing those hands over and then turning those hands in and we you don't see that at the beginning of the season block moves are undisciplined it's you're it's a work in progress as the season goes on and then i think the last factor in in wire blocking is elevated is you have becca alec and she's the one who's had the majority of those blocks and she is playing i I don't know if you guys realize how motivated she is i mean you listen to her in any press conference lincoln i'm sure you've heard a lot she is so motivated to be here there are players like harper murray who are literally playing for Becca Alec because Becca was so disappointed with how they finished last year and wanted to prove every wrong, everyone wrong this year and make it to the, to the championship. And so players like Harper Murray are, she's said in, in post-game press conferences, yeah, I'm, I'm playing for Becca because I want to, Becca's so motivated. Mm -hmm. She wants to be here. She's fighting to be here. And, you know, I want to help her get there. And, and so it's beautiful to see that connection and to see that motivation and, not everyone in the country has it. And that's why teams don't make it this far because they lack. I mean, everyone's motivated if you're playing it at this level, but you just, you have to take it a step further. And Becca, Alex doing that. And you, you see it after every point and every play, she is working so hard with her feet and Andy too. They're it's mainly the middles just working so hard to close the block. And it's, yeah, it's been fun to watch. Our, our good friend uh, Avid on Twitter put out a highlight tape of all of Nebraska's blocks, and it's just awesome to watch how quickly both Andy and Beck are moving from side to side or making the reads if it's a, a pipe attack or they do have a quick a quick set to the middle too. They just did really great work too. So, uh, yeah, the middle the middles have been huge. Uh, we're going to shift a little bit and kind of look at Texas a little bit. Um, to me, it comes down to the matchup of the outside hitters, too. I mean, um, Maddie Skinner and uh, Jenna Wenis uh, lead Texas attack, and Matt Madison Skinner obviously is the best player in Texas. What do – I mean, does Nebraska need to have uh, 
Allie Baton Horse and Harper Murray play those two to a draw to kind of have a good chance to, to win the match? I think our outsides are always important, especially that L2 position, which is Allie. And she, Allie has to play well in order for us to do well, especially against competition like Texas. But I, Lincoln, I really think it's going to come down to if we can pass and keep our middles involved and then get Merritt going on the right. And Merritt, Merritt played, Merritt always plays well. She's, it's sneaky. You look, you watch her in the match and then you look at the stat sheet and you think, wow, she piled up a lot of kills. And I didn't think she had that many kills, but, or blocks or, you know, a serves or whatever it is, but we have to keep Merritt involved the entire match and make sure that she's going and she's getting swings and she's able to find kills on the court because it's very difficult to defend that red zone. She's also attacking against those opposing outside. So, you know, if it's adding more to Wenis and to, uh, Madison Skinner to their load if you're if they're having to block and then attack and then pass when they when they pull back and pass and and it's you're you're hoping to wear them down as the match goes on so we can maybe do that from an offensive standpoint if we keep our middles involved if we get merit going on the right but I always think it you know the outsides are important and they're going to have to get I think what will set Nebraska apart in this match is if Harper and Allie can terminate on out of system setting and out of system, the out of system play on Thursday was poor and it Nebraska works on it every day in practice. They're usually very good at it. Lexi Rodriguez is one of the best liberals in terms of setting out of system sets in the country. And she just was off on Thursday and it wasn't just Lexi. There were some other players that had to step in. I think Becca had a set a trap set and, Maybe well, you Kennedy see, or some, someone else, but it, yeah. if our out of system setting, if we can terminate and get kills in those situations, I think that will be a huge difference maker in the match on Sunday. Well, Wisconsin always seems to to be comfortable playing out of system this year. And why wouldn't you when you've got Sarah Franklin and Anna Smirak and Temi Thomas Alara? But Wisconsin passed so poorly that they were playing more out of the semifinal match out of system, I think, than they wanted. And Texas just ate them up. Like Texas has a block. They always have a block, but now they've got a floor defense that's really scrappy and can start their transition. So I guess this, this kind of leads into what I, I want to ask. And I don't know how much you've been able to watch Texas this year, Lauren, but we've talked about how Pitt and Wisconsin kind of underperformed in the final four from the standard they had set early in the season. I think what you're seeing right now in Nebraska and Texas are two teams that are peaking at the right time. Uh, Texas, especially, they were a point away from losing in the Sweet 16 to 10. Tennessee, and then they come out and they beat Stanford and Wisconsin, two of the best three teams in the country. What have you seen from Texas that is allowing them to kind of finish the season on an upswing going into the national final? I'll be honest. I have not watched a lot of Texas volleyball this entire season. And I said mm-hmm. I didn't watch the match on Thursday. But what I will tell you from pre- you know, previous Texas teams, it's usually their and and what I've heard from other people is their serving is really tough. So they're serving, they've elevated their serving uh, postseason. And you, you saw them stress Wisconsin Thursday night, uh, mm-hmm. Wisconsin passing broke down. So serving is going to be t- difficult. They're always big and physical. So that presence at the net, you know, shutting down some of those out of system attacks that you just mentioned, Texas is usually always very disciplined with the block. I think Eric Sullivan still runs the block and defense for Texas. And I mean, he used to be at Nebraska and he does it, a nice job. And so, you know, that, uh, they're going to have a big physical block up at the net. Uh, they rely heavily on their pin attackers, their heavy go zone 
team or setting team. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll see when they're in trouble, when they need a kill, they're going to go to their outsides. So that's Skinner and Wenis. Uh, they don't run a ton of middle. They, I mean, they have some good middles. They also at times have a double quick with uh, their middles and then Molly Phillips on the mm -hmm. right. Um, so kind of a two at times can be a two middle system and, or yeah, two middle, two double quick, two middle system. And that can be difficult to defend. Uh, it, they have a freshman setter though. I, I mean, we do as well, mm -hmm. but sometimes freshman setters just don't make the best decisions or mm -hmm. they, you know, they get into a high pressure situation and things start falling apart. So that who, who knows what we'll see from, from swindle. Uh, but you're, I think you're right. Texas used to not have a great backcourt, and now they have that with Kayla Akana and their libero, and in they're they've become a scrappy team, and that's mm -hmm. just that's not vintage Texas volleyball. That's kind of different, but I'm they're, you, they're firing on all cylinders. I'm glad you brought up the setter question because obviously that's an area that you're going to know a lot about. And I had written this question down to talk to you about before I saw that Coach Cook kind of got the same question in the press conference on Friday. So I'm interested in your take on this. Uh, only two true freshman setters have ever led their team to a national championship, and it hasn't been done since Jenna Gray did it with Stanford in, in 2016. We're going to add a third to that list this year because both Ella Swindle and Bergen Riley are are true freshmen from from what you can tell you know maybe looking at these two or and and then looking across freshmen as a whole do setters seem more polished now coming into college more ready to run an offense or are we just seeing kind of the outliers in talent these two generational talents in ellis swindle and bergen riley oh what did coach cook say <laughs> he he seemed to think that um that you're seeing the level of setter play being higher than it used to be coming into college because of club volleyball. And, you know, in these two cases, they played on Team USA youth programs. And he just sees kind of an elevated level of play at the high school and the club level that is not where it would have been maybe even 10, 15 years ago. And I will say, I, mean, I would agree with that, but. Yeah. I will say across the country, oh. I mean, Taylor Anderson at Purdue played really well. Uh, Stuckey came in, Alexis Stuckey came in last year as a freshman at Florida and had a fairly good year too. And there's a couple other setters that will too. And there's going to be a couple other next year. I mean, Charlie Furberger at Wisconsin and Izzy Stark at Penn State, I'm sure are going to be handed the reins to run those programs too. So sorry, I just want more context, but go ahead, Lauren. I, no, I would agree with that, Jeff, just with what Coach Cook said that you're seeing – higher level of play from setters across the board. But I also think, I mean, some of those setters that you mentioned, Lincoln, they're not in the national championship match. Yes, they're freshmen. Yes, they had great seasons, but they're not all, you know, they didn't get second or first team All-American and they're not mm -hmm. uh, setter of the year in the conference maybe, and they're not playing in a national championship. So I do think that with Ellis Swindle and, and Bergen Riley, you're seeing talent that, you know, that you saw from Jenna Gray, that you're a four-year starter, you lead your team to the national championship. It's you, you don't get those types of setters every year. And mm -hmm. this is, I think maybe just, it's a, it's like a Harper Murray, a once in a, you know, five or 10 year player that comes along and it, they're really impressive. And I think that's Bergen and Ella. And I, I mean, I, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I, even if I wasn't affiliated with Nebraska volleyball, just from the little, and I haven't watched Ellis Swindle a lot. I've seen her set a few balls, playing play a few minutes in a match, but comparing her to Bergen, I if I had no affiliation with Nebraska volleyball, I would still pick Bergen Riley. And 
I have a lot of different reasons for that, but I just think when it comes to the head to head setter battle, Bergen Riley outperforms Ellis Wendell. And I think one, one thing you're seeing too is with the transfer portal, uh, the way it is now, it's very similar to quarterback situations in college football is I think coaches feel pressure to play their younger players or else they're going to leave. And so you see co coaches maybe a little bit more comfortable or dealing with the discomfort of playing a younger setter because they don't, you know, it's hard to tell a kid, especially a really highly rated one. Hey, we want you to either red shirt or we want you to sit behind this upperclassman for two years and then you'll run the team for two years. And that just used to be the way it was always done. And now it's like, well, I'm, I don't want to sit behind someone for two, maybe three years. I'm going to go to this other school where I can play more. And so coaches are just more comfortable putting the keys in the freshman's hands. I'm glad you brought that up because Nebraska had the opportunity to take Mac Pedraza or to they were recruiting her, not recruiting her, but talking with her and she was interested in Nebraska and they told her, Hey, we're going to stick with Bergen Riley. She's our incoming freshman. We, we committed to her and we want to hold true to that. And that's a perfect example of, of how, you know, that I get what you're saying. The transfer portal does affect uh, a lot of that, but there's Nebraska, you know, saying, Hey, we're going to, we're going to stick true to our commitments and stay with our freshman setter, even though we could have, you know, the, player who was coming off Big Ten setter of the year and did really well at Penn State and they had that opportunity but they decided to stick with Bergen and I'm glad they did because Bergen has is something special to watch and she's really transformed before our eyes this season. For sure, for sure. We'll get you out. One more question, too. Uh, coach Cook was national named National Coach of the Year uh, this week on Thursday. Um, very third time in his career, very deserved honor. I, I thought it, Jeff and I even projected it to uh, projected it before it was announced too. Um, and his career, I mean, regardless of what happens on Sunday, do you think that this uh, this year has been his best coaching job? I, uh, ooh. I would, <laughs> I I would say yes. He he's had some really good years, some really rough years, but. There's a couple reasons why I think it maybe is his best. First of all, they have no seniors. They, you know, at, at times there's four new players out on the court. I mean, what other coaches having that kind of turnaround and able to get a team to the national championship match? I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever done that before. We'd have to go back into the history books. Uh, and then he, he's just, he's having fun. He, he He's kind of turned into this. You've, you're starting to see this softer side of him. Uh, where, you know, he used to be very stern and strict and not a lot of emotion. And now you're seeing the emotion, the emotional side of him and you're, you're watching him have fun and really embrace every moment, whether it's the Memorial stadium match or winning the big 10 championship, or just, you know, knocking off Purdue or Penn state, you know, having a big win in the big 10 on the road, you can just feel him and you can, tell that he's just embracing everything a little more and soaking it all in. And he, I also think what, well, what he's told me is this is the most fun he's had coaching. And I think a lot of that has to do with the relationships that he has with his players. I, I always joke and say, you know, you think his, the background on his phone would be of his granddaughter, but it's of him and Harper Murray. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, he loves the girls. He cares about them there. It's like, we've added a bunch of new, uh, new family members, new daughters, <laughs> to our family because that, I mean, he just cares on them for such a deep level. And it's not just about volleyball. You know, he wants them to reach their potential and play at a high level, but he cares 
more about them off the court than he does on the court. And he, you know, they'll go to coffee or they'll have, they'll do a dinner together or whatever it may be. They, they, it's just such a close knit group. And it's so cool to see because what that reflects is, you know, coach cook is really enjoying coaching this year and he's really having fun. And I think that's helped him to embrace all these moments and really soak it all in. But he's, he's told me multiple times, this is hands down the most fun I've had coaching and I really enjoyed this season. I'm sure that uh, Harper is probably one who uh, set that up for him because I don't know if he's knows how to block the office. He probably doesn't. He's him and I both just struggle with technology. Oh, no, that's great. Well, thank you very much for your time, Lauren. Uh, again, just Lauren West was our guest today. You can listen to her on the championship match. They'll be on the Husker Radio Network. So uh, turn down the volume on your TV, listen to them, or if you're out driving around, that's a great way to do that. She'll be on the call with John Baylor Sunday afternoon at two o'clock central. Thank you very much, Lauren, for joining us and appreciate all of your insights. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, guys. I always enjoy chatting with you. And thanks again to Lauren. Let's move on to rotation four. Let's dive a little bit deeper into that preview of Nebraska, Texas. Uh, this is the first time that these teams have met. Uh, they've always seem to meet the postseason. They met in the 2016 postseason and then both back-to-back years in regional finals in their spring 2021, Texas beat Nebraska, but Nebraska got revenge in later that December where Nebraska went into Austin and knocked off the higher-ranked uh, Texas Longhorns to advance to the 2021 Final Four too. How does Nebraska match up with Texas? What uh, What are the keys to you that Nebraska needs to do in this match? Right. Well, um, we've talked on on some of Texas's strengths, you know, the, their firepower on the pins, uh, how they're a really good defensive team. Nebraska certainly needs to pass better. And you heard Lauren talk about this a little bit, too. Nebraska's passing has been OK. It's been so so in their last two wins against Arkansas in the regional final and then Thursday night against Pitt. Texas has the ability to serve you off the court. And that's why they're playing on Sunday against uh that's what they did on Thursday against Wisconsin to move to Sunday's championship match. So I, I have to imagine that that Jared Elliott is going to come up with a serving plan that's not just serve the ball at the best libero in the country in Nebraska's Lexi Rodriguez. And they're going to make Ali Batenhorst and Harper Murray and Merritt Beeson do some work. I wouldn't be surprised if they did some short serving to try to mess up those um those 6-2 rotations when Bergen Riley's coming up from the back row to set. So Nebraska certainly has to pass and ball handle. They have to play Texas to a draw uh, in that area. And then the other thing I'll touch on before I turn it over to you, you know, Texas has a, the caliber of a middle with Asia O'Neill that I just think Nebraska has not run into uh, yet in the NCAA tournament. Texas is going to run the slide and you could put two blockers in front of Asia O'Neill and she might still hit the ball over the top of you. Nebraska just needs to be, get ready to dig balls and play transition and play sloppy long rallies sometimes. And the team that is better in transition and is able to win long rallies, I think is going to be the team that uh, the team that wins the match. For sure. And I think Nebraska maybe enjoys some of those sloppy long rallies, too. They pride themselves on their defense and their back row uh, passing. So I think that plays in Nebraska's strength, too. I mean, we've talked about her a lot. This this show, Madison Skinner is just a beast. She's probably the National Player of the Year runner-up. We'll see. Volleyball Mag may anoint her after this run that she's had to kind of build on her resume from the regular season. She's been one of the most unstoppable players uh, the entire tournament run, too. I mean, she is their linchpin. She is the engine that drives their offense, too. She's both from hitting and passing, and she's mm-hmm. also a very good 
uh, server as and well. They, yeah. they set her from anywhere, just like you saw in Pitts, Olivia Babcock on Thursday. Maddie Skinner takes a lot of back row swings. Um, they'll set her right back on the, the red zone. They'll set her in that pipe out of the middle. Um, I think Nebraska is going to have to be ready to dig balls from her um, if she's hitting from the back row as well, because I think she's she's a really good shot maker, kind of like Sarah Franklin. She knows how to hit the ball away from your block or go even go high hands from the back row, which is really hard to do. So, yeah, uh, you know, I saw somebody tweeted at us like, well, they have to keep the ball away from Skinner. And it's like, well, this ain't basketball, man. You can't tell you can't face guard that player and not have them passing the ball. The way that you do it is to limit her swings, maybe by serving at her, try to wear her down and make Texas less likely to pass the ball or to set the ball back to her after she passes. But, you know, you're just going to have to do a good job um, bottling up that Texas uh, that Texas attack, which, of course, is way easier said than done. Yeah, I think what Lauren said, too, is get Merritt Beeson involved, too, and make Skinner not only pass, but make her block as well too. get some more jump in her legs. Uh, I'm sure she never tires, but just make her Mm -hmm. do a lot more other than attack two to wear her down a little bit. And to me, the other the other key is I thought Texas defense was one of their more suspect. Their passing was one of the one of their more suspect areas too. But uh, Emma Halters really stepped up. She looked she was nails in uh in, in the semifinal against Wisconsin too. And I think season long, Texas's progression is all tied to their setter. And we talked a lot about that with Lauren too. So we don't need mm-hmm. to repeat here too. But she's really yeah. elevated her game as the season's gone on and really elevated Texas as well too. So that's what if Nebraska. Attacks, yeah. Yeah. If, if Nebraska is going to win their sixth national title, how are they going to do it? Well, they, they got to win serve and pass. And that means big matches from players like Harper Murray and Laney Choboy. You probably need them passing at a two flat or better. Uh, Texas went on those long serving runs we mentioned against Wisconsin with Maddie Skinner serving. And Nebraska is just they're not the world's best out of system team. They can't live out of system like they did for parts of the matches against Arkansas and Pittsburgh. And, and Texas is going to punish you for that. Um, we talked about the outside hitter matchup with Lauren. I think that Ali Batenhorst needs to play Jenna Wenis to a draw. Those are both teams um, kind of secondary outside hitters. Uh, Wenis can be really high error. You know, she's a great player. She transferred from Minnesota. She can she's creative with her shots. She tools a lot and she can get her kills, but she also misses a lot. And so if, you know, Wenis has a match where she's like nine kills, seven errors, I think Nebraska can can win that matchup with Allie Batenhorst. You can't let Texas have a clear edge at outside hitter. And then Harper Murray and Merritt Beeson need to be the stars that they have been all season long. Merritt's been a little quiet. In the last couple matches, didn't have a great match against Pittsburgh. I think they really need to get her going early. She hit 038. She she took too many shots into that block. Texas is going to put up a big block too. So you just got to deal with it. You got to go high hands. You got to tool. Um, Merritt's probably the best shot maker on Nebraska's team. So if they give you line, hit line. If you need to tip, tip. Just you can't get roofed uh, against Texas. You got to recycle points and, and keep rallies alive. For sure. And it goes back to that battle in the middle, too. You want Becca Alec to be able to outplay Asia O'Neill a little bit, too. Um, She has the chance to really influence that with her block, but also take care of when when Nebraska does surf tough. Take advantage of those overpasses. Put them down. Uh, Don't give Texas new life by just tipping it back over. Uh, She she has a tremendous jump and can get balls that are higher than she needs to sometimes, where she may be better. Yeah, she sends it back when... She sends the ball back sometimes a little too dainty when really you'd be better off just like taking a free ball back and and Mm -hmm. setting up your offense. So like you got to be decisive if you're Becca Alec, put that ball down. Do not tip the ball to their libero because all you're doing is jump starting Texas's transition offense. The other key to Bergen Riley. 
Go ahead. Yeah, the other key too is Ber- Bergen Riley too. I mean, she needs to get. It took a while for the Nebraska middles to get involved against Pittsburgh. She needed to feed them early, force feed them, let the middles eat. Especially if if the passing is not great, still get the middles involved, get them a few kills, get the flow of the uh, offense involved with them, and also make Texas's uh, block kind of uh, guess a little bit more, not be as predictable. Um, don't don't let it like we talked about. The Nebraska needs to match what they do, but don't let this become a battle of the pins. Uh, and also get a couple kills too. We we see that she will occasionally have one, maybe two. She needs to be up in that four, five, six range to be really, re- really take over the match because Swindle, that's what mm-hmm. Swindle does. She's a little more aggressive. She'll get some more kills. Bergen Riley also needs to match her with that too. Swindle's three. She's a little bit bigger than Bergen Riley, who I don't think is quite six foot. And so maybe she's just more naturally in a position where she's above the net more and she mm-hmm. she's aggressive and throwing it down. I think Swindle is a little, has a sort of, of a little funky setting motion that I think could throw Nebraska off a little bit. She's so tall, she doesn't always jump when she sets because she doesn't need to create that momentum. She stays on the floor. And so, you know, when she jumps, she's probably going to try to throw it down. Uh, Nebraska's defense needs to be ready for that. And anytime you play Texas, your back row just has to be ready to dig balls. Nebraska leads the country in opponent hitting percentage. Opponents are hitting just 135. We saw that Texas doubled up what Wisconsin's season number was on Thursday night. It was Maddie the highest, uh, She's, highest Wisconsin allowed all season. So Is that right? Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me. Uh, Maddie Skinner, you're not going to totally shut her down. She's going to get hers. She's had double-figure kills in all but two of Texas's matches this season, and she's had at least 18 kills in seven of uh, Texas's last eight matches, including every match in the NCAA tournament. So they're going to force-feed Maddie Skinner. She's going to be able to put some balls away. It's can Nebraska be balanced and resilient enough to uh, to beat a Texas team that is peaking at the at the right time. But I think this also plays into Nebraska's strength, too. I mean, Nebraska loves to play a defensive battle. Uh, That's what they need to do. Um, And if they can get good touches and not just blocks, but they get good touches to set up their defense, that's going to be key in Nebraska's willingness to uh, drag this match into the ugly uh, really is what they want to do. I mean, they had 32 blocks. They have an outstanding back row anchored by Lexi Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. So Nebraska wants to win, make this a defensive battle. You know, let me go out on the limb and just say this, and then we'll move on to rotation five. I'm predicting if any team hits, if, if a team reaches a 300 hitting percentage in this match, it means Nebraska has lost. Mm-hmm. I think you've got to get this into a, you know, a 225, maybe 240, like hitting percentage in both sides. Nebraska needs this to be an ugly match because Nebraska is not going to go out there and hit like 310 against Texas. It would absolutely shock me if they did. So that's that's Lincoln and I's read on on this particular match on Sunday. How does Nebraska match up with Texas? Let's take a step back for just a second in rotation five. We've spent so much time on this show going match by match and talking about matchups. We, we need to look at the big picture. And, and kind of enjoy the journey a little bit more. This Nebraska team um, has reached the national championship match in a season where I don't think anyone could have reasonably predicted that. Uh, four freshmen regularly play, another transfer. you got a true freshman setter. This just doesn't happen, the teams that are put together like this, even if they are as talented as the freshmen that, that Nebraska has brought in. So just a little bit more context. This would this is the youngest Nebraska team collectively that's ever reached a national championship match. Now, the Huskers that went undefeated in 2000 in John Cook's first season and went 34-0 were mostly led by sophomores. Uh, Gracially Sapero, 
Amber Holmquist, Laura Pilikowski, that group. But they also had seniors, too. And this Nebraska team does not have a single senior on it. Lincoln, I'm not entirely sure how that happens. I don't know if John Cook has ever really been able to explain yet how this happens. And I know he's been asked about it a lot this week. Yeah, I mean, so the seniors, let's see one of those potential seniors across the net, Kaylee Icona. That was her class that was the seniors that all kind of left, and Ani Evans and uh, Kaylin Meyer, who all left the program to pursue volleyball or track and field. So, uh, in fact, this has only ever happened one other time in the history of the NCAA tournament. Pacific in 1986 had zero seniors on its roster, too. But in a quirk, they were defending champions. I don't know. They, grad- they had three seniors, I think, on the they won the championship in 85. They graduated, won the uh, then won the next year, too. So they had a little bit more experience on that team, but um, they weren't. And I think that 86 though. team beat Nebraska in Nebraska's first ever trip to the Final Four in the yeah. national semifinals. I, be- I believe those were in Pacific or they're in Stockton, California, but uh, they, they were having had high hopes of winning three P in the road, but they lost in 87. But the, uh, I went to a deep dive yesterday mm-hmm. at old rosters and letter winners and uh, things like that. But Pacific in 1986 is the only other time that that has happened where a team won a title with zero seniors. Mm-hmm roster we also uh earlier in the show mentioned that uh, john cook joined two other uh, active coaches and having 850 career wins over both of his uh 10 years at wisconsin and nebraska Uh, if nebraska was the title on sunday john cook would win his 90th ncaa tournament match at nebraska which um he's already number two all-time in tournament wins at one school this would be another feather in his cap and and you know maybe lauren wouldn't come out and say this is his best coaching job. And there's so many years now to look back on. uh, This has got to be in the top two or three. I think dragging that 21 team to um, the national title match, even though they lost to Wisconsin, is a big accomplishment. I think the first year coming in um, in 2000 and going undefeated and winning the national title, you can't ask for more than that. And then Nebraska won titles in 2015 and 2017. those those were teams with really good, you know, proven performers, senior leadership. The 2015 team was full of juniors and a freshman, Michaela Fecky. Fecky was a senior in 2017, and they had um, a lot of uh, a good senior leadership there. But they did that with a freshman setter in Nicklin Hames. So, you know, this is right up there with um, one of the absolute best coaching jobs that, that John Cook's had in his long career at Nebraska. For sure. And you mentioned, too, I mean, winning that title in 2015, that was over Texas. Nebraska also played Texas for their first ever national title in 1995. So this will be the third meeting between Nebraska and Texas in a national championship match. Nebraska 2-0 in those. So mm-hmm. Huskers 1-4 in, in 1995, uh, swept Texas in Omaha in 2015. I tell you what, we'll even um, we will post that both those matches are on YouTube. We'll post mm-hmm. YouTube links to both of those matches from the show's social account from uh, just look us up uh, at volleyball pod on Twitter and we'll YouTube link both of those matches. Maybe you can watch them before uh, two o'clock Sunday. But again, the going to the context, contexting this and the big picture to I me, mean, this just feels like it would be the storybook ending to this year, too. I mean, you start with Volleyball Day in Nebraska, uh, you go to wins at Stanford, you beat Wisconsin at home in a one versus two undefeated matchup. You have the big rally at Penn State. You win the Big Ten title even before the last week of the season and hosting the regional finals at home, too. I mean, it, I don't know if Nebraska is a team of destiny or if that is a thing, but it it would winning a title would just 
be the perfect ending to the year that volleyball exploded on the scene and Nebraska played a very large part in that mm-hmm. happening. A game on ABC, National Broadcast Network. So it, it I don't know that that would that would be a, my dream as a writer to write about this. I don't. Mm-hmm. It's a great story, out. isn't it? Yeah, it's a great yeah. story. It's a Team- little bow on top. Teams of Destiny, um, I, you know, I don't know how superstitious you are. I'm not that superstitious. But if you're if you're a reporter, if you're a podcast host, you're looking for good stories. And this would be among the best story seasons in in Nebraska volleyball history, which kind of leads us into rotation six. What's next? Um, this is a little bit of a grab bag. But we, you mentioned, Lincoln, that this match being on ABC is significant. It's the first time. At the national championship match has ever been on a broadcast station. You know, the, there was a two match series on Fox earlier this year. We've already seen now that there's going to be another big um, match series on Fox next year. Mm-hmm. Fox really seems to be making a push on uh, for women's volleyball. But, you know, yeah. this is going to be maybe three million people watching on Sunday afternoon, which is huge for the sport. Yeah, and I will say they did this for women's basketball. They hosted the final on Sunday afternoon on ABC. They weren't competing against the NFL, but they grew from the previous year on on ESPN to about four four point four millions to over almost ten million people uh, doing that. So getting on network TV does make a difference as well too. And also, yeah, and- it's very packed in the arena too. They set an attendance record for indoor stadiums. Uh, they had nineteen thousand five ninety eight at the semifinal too, and Nebraska fans are everywhere. So we may even exceed that on Sunday. Yeah. So I mean, I talked uh, to the to the folks who were running the, uh, the the pregame pep rally tailgate party at Harpoon Harry's, and uh, they they came back and uh, after like grabbing some lunch, and they couldn't even get in, in the building to at the event that they're hosting. They couldn't get in the building because it was too f- packed with Husker fans, and so um, that's again you know one of the places Husker fans are congregating on Sunday at eleven o'clock or so. Harpoon Harry's in downtown Tampa. Uh, there's going to be tons and tons of red in Amelie Arena. Nebraska is, of course, going to have, I think, the the home court advantage, the fan advantage in this one, which which helped them out a lot on Thursday night. Uh, if you can't be in Tampa to watch, of course, it's going to be on ABC. There's some stuff going on uh, in Lincoln. Uh, University announced this week that there will be a public watch party at Pinnacle Bank Arena. So you mm-hmm. can go to the Nebraska women's basketball game, which I think starts at noon on Sunday and stick around afterwards um, to watch uh, the match on the big screens inside Pinnacle Bank Arena. Of course, you're going to be watching at home. We're going to be watching. Lincoln's going to be courtside. And then we're going to come back and we're going to recap the national championship match and tell you all about it. Um, probably first thing Monday morning. So you're, you're hearing a lot from us this week. And we really, really appreciate that. Helping the show grow, helping the sport grow. And we hope that this experience this year has has turned you into maybe a more educated fan. We hope this has enhanced your fandom of volleyball. And we hope it, it continues to be a part of, of you being a fan of volleyball. Yep, we're we're very thankful. This thing that just started off as a text message between Jeff and I about mid to late August, like, hey, do you want to do a podcast? Yep, we're doing it. <laughs> ends up covering in the next And like two weeks later, we were doing it. So we're very thankful for your listening. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, review. We'll have a couple more episodes after the fact and into the new year. Uh, thanks to Bison Incorporated and the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union for sponsoring us. Uh, we're very grateful for them and we're grateful for you listening. Send us, uh, you can contact us a multitude of ways, too. So how, how can they get in contact? Yeah. With 
they can you can find us on Twitter at volleyball pod. You can email the show at volleyballstate at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow my rantings individually about the sports and various other things at by Jeff Sheldon on Twitter. And Lincoln's got a whole lot of content coming your way too. Yes, for sure. You can follow me. I will live tweet the match and, and kind of what's going on down here in Tampa. You can find me at Twitter at Lincoln underscore VB or threads at Lincoln A underscore VB. Uh, I'll have lots of videos and uh, written articles on HuskersIllustrated.com. So be sure to look at those and we'll just. And we'll have a big, I'll have a big magazine feature I'm writing uh, on Monday to be in our next edition, which I think comes out in the next week or two. It'll be before before Christmas that'll hit. So be uh, on the lookout for that as well, too. And thank you so much this year, uh, all season long to Podcast House Media for hosting the show. You can find us and all the great Podcast House Media podcasts at podcasthousemedia.com. We will be back in your phones and your inboxes on Monday morning, breaking down the national championship match between Nebraska and Texas. Enjoy the match on Sunday and we'll be back. Thanks for living in the volleyball state.